Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, possibly quite late in the evening for some of you, and welcome to another edition of Under My Roof. For today's talk, we have uh, Father Marcus Holden, who's going to be giving us a talk titled The Two Loves of St. Joseph. As you all know, today is the feast day of St. Joseph. Good morning, good evening, possibly quite late. Sorry about that. Yeah, so as you know, today's uh, uh, today's the feast day of St. Joseph, and we are pleased to have Father jo Father Marcus, who's going to be talking to us about the two loves of St. Joseph. So, as we usually talk about some ground rules before we start, please use the Q&A section to ask any questions, and we'll prioritize the questions, uh, and the speaker, Father Marcus, today will answer those questions for you. And if you're facing any technical difficulties, you can use the chat function so we can reach out and help uh, help you. And uh, if your friends have not signed in via Zoom, they could use uh, this QR code, scan the QR code using your phone. Usually it's on your iPhone or your Android if you just open the camera, but uh, camera and if you just point it at the QR code, you should get the link. And we are live on YouTube. Another way to do so is to go to youtube.com slash user slash UK divine slash live. I know that's a mouthful. But if you just search for Divine UK and look for the current uh, live program, you'll find this. So we're going to have worship that's going to be led by Renz and Laura. And uh, of course, the talk by Father Marcus. So with that, I hand it over to Renz and Laura to lead us in worship. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Abba Father. Praise you, Jesus. Praise the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Glorify you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 says, Then afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Yes, Lord Jesus, pour out your spirit in all flesh. Let your sons and daughters speak your words of prophecy. Lord Jesus, you said in Luke chapter 11 verse 13, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Heavenly Father, Abba, we are thirsting for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Fill us with your power from above, so that we can live a life of holiness. Holy Spirit, my teacher, my helper, my advocate, my comforter, my counselor, my God, come, come Holy Spirit, we need you, anoint us, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Secret of your heart, 
Isaiah chapter 43 verse 16 and 19 says Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea a path in the mighty waters I am about to do a new thing now it springs forth do you not perceive it I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert Yes, Lord Jesus, you are the way maker. You are the miracle worker, Lord Jesus. You are the promise keeper, Lord Jesus. You are the light in the darkness. You are my God, and that is who you are, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory, Lord. Glory, Lord. Hallelujah. Wow. 
and Laura for that beautiful worship. Uh, with that, I'm going to introduce to you all Father Marcus Holden. He's the Episcopal Vicar for Catechesis and Evangelization in the Archdiocese of Sadak, And he's also the parish priest of St. Bede's, uh, Seafam Park. I hope I got that uh, correct. And uh, Father Marcus uh, was the parish priest for the Divine Retreat Center when it first started. So the Divine Retreat Center isn't, a very, isn't something new for Father. And he's been a wonderful help for the center. With that, I invite Father Marcus over to take over the stage. Thank you, Mario. And it's uh, good to be with you all today. And it's a special feast day today of St. Joseph, the worker. And I'm going to share my screen with you for today's presentation. So bear with me for one moment as I do this and make sure it works. We've got a few technical problems. So here we go. It seems to be working. And I can share my slideshow with you. Hopefully you can see that now. Yes, Father. Excellent. This year was designated by the Pope as the year of St. Joseph, and it runs all the way through to December uh, 2021. And so it's really important that we make use of the, the spiritual riches of of St. Joseph, who is our protector in the church, the great model saint for us. Um, and when you think of it, he is uh, the greatest uh, saint who wasn't born uh, uh, immaculate. So Our Lady, of course, Mary is the, is the greatest of all the saints. But Joseph's like us. He, he, was, he, he was born with original sin, but still reached the heights, the very greatest heights of sanctity. So he's a lot to teach us. This talk is called The Two Loves of St. Joseph because he devoted his life to two great causes. One was the love of Mary, our blessed lady, and the other was the love of Jesus. And I want us to focus on those two great loves because this is the spirituality of St. Joseph. And I'm going to have some help along the way from some of the saints to uh, help us unpack this. Uh, remember, St. Joseph gave himself totally to Mary and to Jesus. I was thinking about these two great loves of St. Joseph, and what came to my mind in prayer was a vision that 
John, uh, the John Bosco had. Have you heard of St. John Bosco? Uh, he's the patron saint of youth. And he had a vision of the church in a crisis. It was like on a great ship and all the ships were crashing. There were great waves. But then two pillars appeared in the distance. And one of them had the Virgin Mary on top and one had the Holy Eucharist, Jesus Christ. And the vision was if you anchor the boat, the ship, to these two columns, everything will be safe. And the sea became calm. So these are the two great loves of St. Joseph, which I want to focus on. And hopefully they will help us to be, to be calm in our voyage through life, in our spiritual lives. There's a, a close-up of the, of the ship. That's what we want, to anchor ourselves, like St. Joseph, on those two great loves. I'm going to speak for 10 minutes on Our Lady, 10 minutes on Jesus in the, in the Holy Eucharist. The saint who has really inspired me recently, I don't know if you've heard about him, but he's blessed. He's on the next step before becoming a saint. And he was only beatified last year. His name is Carlo Acutis. And he was just 15 when he died. So he became a saint really young. He was born in London. I know many of you are from London. So that's an amazing fact that we've got this new saint. In 1991, he was born and died in 2006. Many of you were alive already when he was still alive. So he's a saint from our modern times. And I think he shows us how to become holy. From a childhood, he also devoted himself to Mary and to Jesus. It doesn't have to be really complicated. And he did that. And of course, he was like everyone else. He, had, he loved um, music. He played the saxophone. He had his PlayStation. He was great on computers. He did computer programming. He liked football. And he, but he still, with all of that, dedicated everything to God, became a saint. And the two great loves of his life were these same two loves of St. Joseph. So I'm going to bring him in a little bit to help us because he's, he's a great example. So devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, first of all. Here you have St. Joseph looking after Mary when Jesus was born, going to Egypt. And when we honor Mary, we're honoring what God has honored. It's as simple as that. It's not more complicated than that. God honored Mary, raised her to be so wonderful. And so we're doing what God does. We're doing what Jesus does, loving his mother. And that's what St. Joseph did. St. Joseph was trusting in Our Lady from the beginning. When she uh, conceived Jesus, he had to trust this was from God, the miracle. He received uh, visions and dreams to follow the way of God. He had to guard them. He had to find a place at the inn when there was no room. He had to lead them into exile, into Egypt to protect the child. He was constantly devoted to Mary. Carlo Acutis said that the Virgin Mary is the only woman in my life. He used to say that. And he, he dedicated himself to her. That's the second point about devotion to Mary. You, you've, you've got to make a commitment to her. You've got to consecrate yourself to her. And this is a great month to do it, the month of May. An act of consecration. We know that Joseph and Mary were married, and that was Joseph's consecration to her, to give himself completely to her. And we can do that in the spiritual life as well. One way is this way of St. Louis de Montfort. When I was 15 years old, I was given that book that's in the middle there by my mother, my 15th birthday. 
and I thought it was the most ridiculous present. I didn't want to read an old book from the 18th century about Mary. And I threw it aside. And my mother was sad. And I felt really guilty about it. And I left it by my bedside. And eventually, first through shame and a bit of guilt, I picked it up and began to read. And I discovered what we call the secret of Mary. That if we devote and consecrate ourselves to her, she brings us to Jesus in the, the most perfect way. St. Louis said, we never give more honor to Jesus than when we honor his mother. And we honor her simply and solely to honor him all the more perfectly. We go to her only as the way to leading to the goal we seek. And she helps us as our mother in the spiritual life. The third point on devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary is to make little acts of care towards Mary, little acts of devotion. So the big thing is to know we should honor her and then to make a big consecration to her. Sometimes you can prepare for 30 days. You do this online, just type into Google consecration to Our Lady. You can do it. You can prepare, do it through May. But then it's the ongoing little acts that make the difference. St. Joseph, just imagine all the little things he did to support Our Lady. The little acts of kindness, the teaching, the courtesies, the care, the thoughtfulness, spending time with her. It's those kind of things that really matter in our Marian devotion, in our devotion to Mary. And I want to suggest a few small ones to you that you can take up yourselves. First of all, there's the rosary. This is Mary's favorite prayer. And, so, and maybe you could pray it through the eyes of St. Joseph, thinking about what was he thinking about during the Annunciation, the time of the visitation, when Jesus was born in the Nativity, when he was presented in the temple, when they lost him when he was 12 years old and found him in the temple. So try maybe this year, or at least once or twice in this year, to do the rosary through Joseph's eyes. But it's Mary's favorite prayer. And how else can we daily show our devotion to Mary? I pray the rosary every day. It's, I, I find it really important for the spiritual life. And all the saints, all the saints prayed the rosary. Another thing is to have a beautiful image of Mary to remind you. You all like to have a picture of your moms if you're away from home or keep something to remind you. It's really important that we, we remember Mary. There's a story of St. Gregory the Great who sent the mission to Ramsgate of St. Augustine. And when he was young as a monk, he was more passionate about Our Lady. And every time he passed this icon, he would always, this particular one, it's near St. Cosmos and Damien in Rome. He was a monk in Rome. Every time he passed, he would say, Mary, this is Gregory. And to say a little prayer, just a personal greeting. But then when he became Pope, he stopped doing that. And one day he was walking past the icon and Mary said to him, Gregory, this is Mary. And it's important, that story, I think, to remind us. And he felt ashamed then and entered into more personal conversation with her to get personal with Mary, not just to see her as an idea or someone to be put on a, on a, on a stand, but to speak to her, to find a picture like an icon where you can speak to her as your spiritual mother. God allows this in his grace and wants us to do this. And then there's the scapula. This is special to England. It was given by Our Lady to St. Simon Stock. 
And John Paul II, the Pope, used to wear this. I remember wearing it as a boy. And when I was sort of getting changed in changing rooms uh, for PE, uh, I would be, people would say, what is that funny thing around your neck? And I had a chance to explain that, about my faith. But this scapula was given by Mary, and she said to St. Simon Stock in Aylesford in Kent, this is my protection for you. Whoever dies wearing this brown scapula will not suffer the eternal fire. And it's her cloak of protection, like her mantle around us. And you can go to a priest, any priest, and get this scapula, get it blessed, and you get enrolled in it. And I want to recommend that to you as well. One piece goes on the front and one on the back. These are little ways, little acts of care that you can show your devotion to Mary. And Carlo Acutis used to promote the rosary to all his friends. And, and it made a big difference. He would help the friends, particularly who were bullied or the friends who um, were having difficulties at home. Some of his friends, their parents got divorced and he would teach them the rosary. And it made a huge difference. He said that, with the rosary, you have a powerful weapon against the devil. And there are lots of temptations, especially for young people. And he felt temptations, but the rosary was his weapon. So the second love of Carlo Acutis and the second love of St. Joseph and the greater love, you could say, the greatest love right in the center, it's where Our Lady leads us, is to her son. And I think particularly for us Catholics and on earth now, the preeminent way, the, the greatest way that Jesus is with us is in the Blessed Sacrament, in the Holy Eucharist, in Holy Communion, in the Mass. That's the way he's chosen as the Route 1, the A1, main uh, M1 motorway. It's the main, the main way to Jesus. Of course, we have to be with him spiritually. We have to listen to his words in Scripture. There are many other ways in which we can be with Jesus, but this is the most direct because he's really present in the Eucharist. The first thing about devotion to the Blessed Sacrament that we have to get is to see with our human eyes the supernatural reality. This is the key to it all. Unless you get see the supernatural reality, you won't understand the Mass or the Eucharist or Jesus' presence with you because it is something supernatural. And this is what Joseph had to do. He had to see God in a baby. He had to trust that this was the word made flesh. This was the Messiah. This was the savior in the entire world. And all he saw with his human eyes was a baby. But he knew with the eyes of the supernatural that this was Jesus Christ, son of God. And when he presented him in the temple, here's, here's Joseph behind Mary. He had to see that Jesus being presented to the temple meant so much more than any other baby. It was the beginning of the redemption of the entire world. And we have to see in the mass the sacrifice that frees the world, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And as Jesus was growing up, Joseph had to see God through the, the mind and, and ways of a child as Jesus grew to maturity in wisdom and grace. And that took an act of faith. He had to see each step of the little Jesus in a supernatural way. This was the, these were the steps of God with humanity. So it's this kind of faith. And Carlo Acutis had this in spades. He said, 
Jesus is my greatest friend and the Eucharist is my highway to heaven. He realized this was the, the M1, the A1. This was the main way to Jesus through the mass, through the blessed sacrament, through the Eucharist. And he said, our aim has to be the infinite and not the finite to see with this bigger vision. The infinite is our homeland. We have always been expected in heaven. So he was always had his mind on that supernatural reality. Now, this is, this is mightily important. So we speak about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And John Paul II, St. John Paul II said, in that little host is the solution to all the problems of the world, because that host is Jesus. One of the great novelists of the 20th century, American novelist called Flannery O'Connor, she said, well, if the Eucharist is just a symbol, then to hell with it. It's quite shocking words, but what she means is, if it's just a, a symbol, then we shouldn't be bothering with this, but it's not just a symbol it's the real presence of jesus this is what he planned this is how he could be with us in every place and be really personal with us and close to us and inside of us and building us and the other aspect of it is to see in the mass the cross of jesus when the bread and wine are consecrated they become the body and blood of jesus they're raised up and it's that moment that time and space collide and it's actually his sacrifice on the cross that's made present with all the power and glory to save the world a million times over and to save us. In the mass also, heaven and earth collide. Time and space was nothing to God. And you know, when you hear the prayer, holy, 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 it's to remind us that God is present, but all, with God, all the saints and the angels in the book of Revelation, it talks about the mass in heaven, an altar with the lamb and all the saints and angels. But that's what's happening on earth in every parish. Carlo Acutis really got this message. And he had strong faith in the Eucharist, but wanted his friends to have it because they, they went to mass and they went up for communion. It didn't mean very much to them. So what he decided to do was to research the Eucharistic miracles. Have you heard of them? You can look them up on the internet. There are amazing miracles in Christian history where God has shown signs to point to the real presence of Jesus, that it's true. And Carlo Acutis collected these, these, these miracle stories. And some of them are live miracles. They, 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 they still exist. And he made a website so that he could transmit this information. Now it's gone all across the five continents of the earth. And around parishes, there are exhibitions explaining these Eucharistic miracles. And loads of his friends began to believe again in the Mass, come back to Mass, and know when they were receiving communion, what they were receiving. So he showed us a way to do that. The second way to have devotion to the Blessed Sacrament is to be fed by the bread of life, which is Jesus, to be... Um, to, to live only on that bread of life. It's our real strength to know that we need it. And that's what St. Joseph did. You know, when he was holding Jesus, he was actually being strengthened by Jesus. It's, it's hard to think of it that way because he was supporting Jesus, teaching him, leading him, protecting him. But the reality was that it was actually Jesus feeding him, strengthening him, leading him, protecting him. 
And it's like that when we receive Jesus in Holy Communion, he's doing all of that for us. I want to tell you a short story about a priest I knew, and now he's been made um, venerable. He's going to be beatified by the church really soon. When I was trained to be a priest, I was in Rome, uh, living in Rome, and there was a priest at the Irish uh, college. His name was um, Ragid Ghani. He was from he was from Iraq, and he was training there. And we used to have football matches between the different colleges. I was in the English college, and there was an Irish college, an American college, and you'd have competitions together. And I remember playing football against him, um, and I probably kicked him. I suspect at one point, and he's a saint now, so um, uh, I do apologize for that. But you know, he was a very gentle and holy person. But I found out that when he went back to Iraq, and he didn't have to go back, he could have stayed in Rome eating pizza and having gelato ice cream, he in doing more, more and more studies, but he wanted to go back. And he said that he wanted to go back because they needed the mass. They needed the mass and they needed priests for that. And it was the time when, when uh, the, the radical Islamists were around in, in his town and they threatened the people, so they closed the church, they boarded it up, but he took it all down and continued to say mass, and they threatened him not to go. And then one day after Pentecost, it was only, I think it was 2010, I'm not sure the exact year off the top of my head, but he was coming out of, out of the, uh, the church, and it was Pentecost Sunday, and he'd managed to give the Blessed Sacrament to the people. and. The, the, the Islamists got hold of him and they said, they said, we told you to close this church. And he said, how could I close the house of God? And they shot him. And he's a martyr now. He, he, of course, when they shoot him, they think it's the end of it. But he goes straight to heaven and the whole thing becomes more powerful. And the mass survived. But he loved the mass. He said, when, can I, when I hold the host in my hands, that's the, the Eucharist, it is he who is holding me. And that's why I thought about St. Joseph. When Joseph held Jesus, it was Jesus who was holding him. And the people in, in his parish said, we cannot live without the Mass. We cannot live without the Mass. In the end, it's to draw us into heaven and... The, the, the Eucharist is a way to connect us to heaven. When we have the blessed sacrament inside of us, we're connected to heaven. There's St. Joseph in heaven with Jesus. And that's our destination. It's the home of all of us. So the third way for devotion to the blessed sacrament, the love of St. Joseph, is a life of adoration. You know, he must have adored. He worshipped his son. He saw the wise men do it. He saw the shepherds. He adored his son. He, he knew his son was, was God. He knew he was divine. He knew he was the savior of the world. He adored him. That's my warning to, to finish off. And I'll just have one more minute. He adored his son. And I think there's a great connection between St. Joseph adoring Jesus as a child and our worship of the Blessed Sacrament, our adoration. I don't know how many of you do adoration, but it's the most beautiful, important way to pray because you have to be personal. You can't just be ticking boxes or thinking about your own, own issues. Jesus confronts you directly there because he's present. You know, Carlo Acutis got this. He said, 
if we get in front of the sun, we get suntans. But when we get in front of Jesus in the Eucharist, we become saints. It's like the rays of the sun come to us. And he's always depicted with the monstrance because he kept promoting the Eucharistic miracles and adoration. And he would go to adoration every day, every day. So these are the three things. It's seeing the supernatural. Even if a mass is like in a, here is in a, a mass in a war place, you know, with soldiers on a table, it's still the same supernatural reality. In Holy Communion, we have to realize that we're receiving Jesus and we live off the bread of life. Heaven and earth collide in the mass. And Jesus' sacrifice is there from 2,000 years ago, present with all its power and grace. And in adoration, we can be one-to-one -one in an uber-personal way with Jesus. And that's what we need in our prayer. So these are the two loves of St. Joseph, Our Lady and the Blessed Sacrament. And I'm going to stop there to answer any questions. So thank you very much. Thank you, Father, for that wonderful talk. Um, we have a couple of questions lined up, and those of you who have questions, keep them coming in, and we will try to answer as many of them as we can with the time that we have. So uh, the first question was, why did St. Joseph fade away from history? For example, he's barely mentioned after Jesus' birth. Yes, he's, he's, very, very, he's very quiet then. And in, in the early church, people do talk about him a little bit, the early, the early Christians, some of the early fathers of the church, but there's not this strong devotion to him that exists now. I think it's sometimes like that in church history, where we, we only realize the gifts at a certain point in history, and it's happened a few times. You know, even, even with Jesus's uh, being uh, divine, right at the beginning of the church, they knew Jesus was divine, but it only came to focus much later when people kind of challenged that to say he wasn't God in the fourth century. And doctrine can often develop that way, that you realize the gift, you realize the full truth of what he's brought. And it happened with the Eucharist, the beginning of the church, they didn't have the tabernacles. Um, they always had the mass, and they always knew this was the body of Jesus. But over time, they realized, if this is truly the body of Jesus, then we can have the tabernacles in the churches, and we can pray before him even outside of mass this developed slowly and the gift was realized and it took a long time really for the church to fully realize um, the gift of saint joseph and it was mainly in the 19th century just the last 200 years that people have focused on how important he was and must have been and how the scriptures point to that um, it's not that he wasn't talked about before but he became so much more important we realize the gift and I think we're still part of that process now. It's a privileged time to be in 2021 because the church is realizing the gift of St. Joseph. That's why the Pope gave us this year of St. Joseph. So there's been more focus this year than ever any year in history before on St. Joseph. And we're part of that. It's, it's, it's how God unfolds, unpacks the gifts that he's given to us over time. That's a very good question. Thank you, Father. Uh, the next question is, how do you explain to people that Jesus is truly present in the Holy Eucharist? Yeah, I think the important thing is to talk about what Jesus said, first of all. This was his promise. Um, he's very clear 
in, in, in John's gospel, even in the sea, around the Sea of Galilee, he says he's going to give bread from heaven that is truly his flesh. And you really have to eat this flesh to abide in him. Um, and he's very clear about it. He even used the physical word for eating when he, there were other words that he could have used. And people probably wondered, what is this eating of his body? And people were scandalized by it. Some people walked away from him at that time because he was so direct about you had to eat, eat his flesh and drink his blood. And so I suppose they were wondering about how that would happen. And it was only at the Last Supper when he took the bread and he took the chalice and said, this is my body. This is my blood. And then they knew this is how it would work. That's how you would you would have that union with him, how he'd be present. And it was building on the Old Testament as well, because in the Old Testament, you had to eat the flesh of the, of the lamb at the Passover to be in the people, to be part of the covenant. And so we have to eat um, his body and his blood to be part of the, of the covenant. So that, to explain that that's what Jesus really intended. But then the other way is to talk about what did the early Christians believe? The next generation on, because if they believed it, then we can be sure that's what he meant. So you turn the pages. I've got some of the books behind me here of those writers from about 80 AD to about 300 AD. And we've got loads of stuff from that period. And I'll tell you what, they all believe this. They all believe this, that Jesus is really present. And they speak about gathering on the day of the sun, which is the Sunday, hearing the memoirs of the apostles. That's the Gospels and then receiving him. Um, and they use words like the bread changes by transmutation. They don't have the words that we have, the language that we have now. Um, we have more sophisticated language. We've had time, but they believed it. And I think the other way then is to talk about those Eucharistic miracles that God has wanted to prove this to us. Carlo Acutis talked about that. And then, of course, it's just the church. If you believe in the church, if God gave the Holy Spirit to the apostles and their successors, the church to teach with certainty. If the church teaches this, and it does absolutely clearly, then we, we, must be, we must be trustful in that, in the work of the Holy Spirit through the church. I think the final way to kind of explain it to people is the witness of ourselves and the saints, that we know and we're strengthened uh, by Jesus being there. And then to invite others to experience that, because I think sometimes by just coming into his presence, you realize it. I know a lot of evangelical Christians who, once they get actually brought before the Eucharist, they know there's something there. They know there's a real powerful presence, and they then have to either reject it, it's just a symbol, or they have to realize this is the truth. This Jesus is with us in this uh, way that he intended. It's a really good question. Thank you, Father. And the next question is about St. Joseph's age. Is there any indication how old St. Joseph, the foster father of Jesus, was when Jesus was born? For some reason, my understanding is that he died very soon after the time when Jesus was at a young age uh, when he was teaching in the temple. Yeah, it's a good question. And we, we don't know exactly about that. Uh, we're a bit agnostic about it. We don't get the details in the, in the scriptures. Maybe we weren't meant to know that. There are many things that Jesus did, St. John the Apostle says, that aren't recorded here. And we, we will only know one day, perhaps, from heaven. There are, have been some saints and mystics of the church who've had visions of Christ's early life. And we can't be certain about that information, but it gives us a bit of an in indication. 
And I, I, I think the general consensus is that Joseph was much older than Mary, but not necessarily a really old man. Sometimes he's depicted looking really old uh, when Jesus is a baby, and that's not necessarily the case. He was he must have been quite strong to have walked to Egypt. You don't walk to Egypt and um, and, and protect the uh, family in a very dangerous situation if you're very old. So he was he was probably older than Mary, most certainly, but not necessarily very old. And he may have died just before Jesus' public ministry. So when Jesus was 30, he went on his public ministry into the desert and then to be baptized by John and the first um, public uh, event then is the wedding feast at Cana in Galilee and Mary was there but not Joseph so it suggests quite strongly that Joseph had already died at that point but it may he may have been there all the way through Jesus's early life up until the age of uh, uh, 30 when he left home and the other way we know that Joseph wasn't around uh, in the public ministry is because at various times Mary is there even at the cross of Jesus but there's no mention of Joseph so it's it is the tradition of the church that he had already died at that point, but we don't know exactly when. I like to think he was there most of Jesus's life and then prepared him in his own way and accompanied him towards that public ministry where he began to teach and redeem the world. Thank you, Father. Um, this is like a two, I think these are two questions in one, but I'm just going to say it out anyway. How can you inspire people to read the consecration to St. Joseph? And the next one is, how do you actually explain to people that Jesus gave his mother to us and we don't worship, but honor Mary? And I, I presume that would be the same case for St. Joseph and other saints as well. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. The Consecration of St. Joseph, there's a really good book, which I use this year up until the other Feast of St. Joseph in March. It's on the 30, it's a, it's a, 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 a consecration of 33 days up to um, St. Joseph's Feast, so you can use it any time of the year by a priest called Father Donald Calloway. Maybe someone will put it in the chat if they've, if they've got uh, that. And it takes you through every day some meditation about Joseph's life, about different virtues and, and prayers to say. And, and what is this about? It's, it's similar to the consecration to Mary. You, you ask for the saint to help you uh, to be closer to Jesus. And Joseph draws us into that that relationship with Mary and with Jesus ultimately. That's how it works, the dynamic. We kind of want to have everything neat and just me and God and our spiritual reality. But God has created us as family, as physical beings, as social beings, and he's revealed himself through a family. And he doesn't want us to cut all that out and bypass that. So all that is part of what God intends. He relates to us through the family he came. He relates to us through the, the wider family, the saints, and wants us to be part of that. You see, Christianity isn't individualistic. It's about the church. It's about his body, and we're all together. And Joseph and Mary have a mi mighty parts in that body to, be, to, to help us. Um, so devotion to Mary is, is the one closest, of course, to our Lord, because she is the greatest of the saints. And, you know, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he gave his mother to John the Apostle, but it says the beloved disciple deliberately because he was giving Mary to all of his disciples who stand by the cross. And he said, behold, your mother. And he said to his mother, behold, your son. And from that time, there was this special bond between Mary and the, and the disciples of Jesus. And just as she gave birth to Jesus, 
spiritually. She's our mother as well. Uh, we are we are her children. We we are the um, the brothers and sisters of, of Jesus. We are her redeemed children, and she's called by the early Christians. Again, go back to those early centuries. What did they believe? There's a writer from the second century. So he was born about 110 AD. And he writes about 160, 170 AD. His name is St. Irenaeus. And he said that Mary is the second Eve, the second Eve. So do you know how God intended there to be Adam and Eve, the first human beings? He also intended Jesus to be the new Adam. We know that from scripture. But the early Christians said Mary was the second Eve. She was the mother of all the living. Um, there's this beautiful complementarity, but it doesn't mean, of course, that Mary is divine like Jesus. It's really important that we don't get this mixed up. When we say we honor Mary, we're not worshiping her as God. When we say she's mother of God, we're not saying that she comes before God or is above God. She is, when we say mother of God, we're actually affirming that Jesus is divine and that she is truly his mother. It's actually affirming more Jesus when we say she's mother of God, because we're affirming the divinity of Jesus. Again, the early Christians taught us this. Um, so yeah, don't get that mixed up. We don't worship Mary, but we can honor her. And God wants us to honor his family members and to honor the saints. Um, we honor what God has honored. So it's important to see this in a family way uh, and not as a kind of uh, a bodiless um, personal, individual, uh, unrelated relationship with God. It doesn't work that way. That's not true Christianity. Thank you, Father. Um, the next question um, is kind of like tied into the just the previous question. This is from a young girl called Emily, aged 14. Will God answer our prayers faster if we ask a saint to ask him for us? <laughs> Thank you. It's a really good question. And uh, not necessarily, but it's, it, God likes us to do, to do things like that because he, he wants us to relate to him in his family, in his church. So just as um, sometimes you might say to me, oh, Father Marcus or Mario or anybody here, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? And now is your prayer, if you pray direct, would it be better? than them praying for you? Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But God likes us to pray for one another because he likes this family dynamic. And he likes even more with the saints praying for us because they're, they're very close to him. And so just as, you know, God doesn't need us to ask for anything. He, can, he knows everything beforehand. So you could say, well, why bother praying at all? Just let God do his stuff. But he wants us to do that because it's good for us because we need to, because it sets up relationship. And it's like that with the saints, that we, we, we don't have to do it that way. It didn't have to be that way, but God likes it, and he set it up that way, so we help one another. And, um, and it's not that God has limited attention. God can be totally present to each of us at all times. We know that. That's an absolute fact. Um, but God delights in us uh, supporting one another in the body of Christ. So uh, he may actually make it more powerful, more speedy, more efficacious, we say, if we, if we go through the saints uh, to him, we involve the saints and we involve one another to pray for each other because he likes that. Just as a parent actually likes children to work together 
uh, rather than just to do everything individualistically. Um, so it's a little bit like that, I think, with God. He created all this stuff and he works through it. Thank you, Father. Uh, this next question is slightly off topic, but since you're a priest, I think you're the right person to answer it. Can priests live a comfortable life with all electronics, like a good phone, a good laptop and music studio, if they want to make music for God in it? I guess this is coming from somebody who's trying to discern the priesthood and they want to know how much of a life they can live despite being a priest. It's a great question. It's a great question. And it's a complicated question. And there are different kinds of priests as well. There are some priests who choose radical poverty, you know, some religious orders where they, they mirror that, that, that side of Jesus' life. You know, he went into the desert and he, he sometimes lived in a very poor way with nowhere to lay his head and just took food that was given to him. So they, they mirror that. It's, very, it's a very beautiful thing. And it's a great example to the world of total trust in God. But then there are other, other kinds of priests and, and nuns and, and religious who work more in the world and they have to use all these tools for the gospel. So the answer is yes, you can, you can use all these things. The caveat, the sort of, you know, the, um, the nuance that I would give to that is to say, with anything in the world, we mustn't let them possess us. So any of these tools can become like a false god or any, any kind of riches or any, any, anything material. We can worship it too much. We can, we can turn away from God and we can be focused on those things. And that's really dangerous. Um, that's like a false God. And, and, that, and priests have to avoid that and live detached. You know, they have to be detached. God has all the riches in the universe. He created them all, has them all. And the kingdom of heaven has them all. So they're not a problem to God. They're good and wonderful and not evil in themselves. But we have to use them in the right order. So use them for his glory. Use them as his gifts. Share them. Uh, if, if we don't do that, then they become like false gods. Everything in its right order. And in comparison with, with God and the relationship with God, you know, any physical or material thing, any wealth is like just tinsel. It's, it's in comparison. So you wouldn't give your whole existence to the tinsel when you've got the relationship with God that lasts forever. It's so perfect. So it's a kind of balance, really, that, that we need as priests. We have to go through the world. And I think it's true for every Christian, not just for priests. It's not just for priests. For every Christian, we have to travel lightly. And if we have uh, wealth or means at our disposal or tools, even lots of computers and things to use, Use them for God. Give them to God and to others. Um, don't cling to them because then they possess us and they, 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 they become disordered. So um, I hope that answers your question a little bit. Um, but if you're feeling called to, to the more radical poverty, the ways for that as well, where um, literally some priests and religious live with, with, with virtually nothing, and that's something very beautiful and God provides for them. Thank you, Father. Um, this next question is, am I wrong in my understanding that Mother Mary and St. Joseph were betrothed but not married till the very end? No, they, they, they did get married. But the, in, in Jewish, they were married. Um, so the NGO appeared to Joseph and said, don't be afraid to take Mary home with you as your wife. And he did that. 
But in the Jewish tradition before Jesus, there were two stages to marriage. And there was betrothal, first of all, and then there was the, the marriage where they would live together. So in the betrothal time, they were bound. It was stronger than our idea of an engagement. And you could even have, you could live together during that time, but it wasn't until the, 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 the marriage that they were fully bound. So there are two stages. Um, and so when Joseph was, was betrothed to Mary, it was like the first stage. But later they were married and, and Mary came to live with him. Um, but that's why he was very, very worried because they weren't living together. They were just betrothed and she had conceived the child, uh, Jesus. And he was confused and afraid about this because how could it happen? Um, they were both completely chaste and it must have been such a hard, a hard thing to, to, to think about. But then he received a vision in his dreams and he was told that this child had been born miraculously of the holy spirit but it still wasn't easy he had to trust that and he he had to put up probably with people not understanding that initially the other thing about saint joseph is that he trusted so much in god you know we get worried about all sorts of things you get anxious and worried and you think what about tomorrow uh, what is it? What is it really going to be really bad or my future? Joseph put all those things aside. And the reason we know he was very trusting in God was by his actions, but also by the fact that he slept. He used to be asleep in the, these crisis times when God revealed to him these messages. He was always sleeping. So it shows us that he was very trustful because you don't sleep if you're, if you're really, really anxious. But he was just sleeping which is a wonderful thing. And so there's a devotion to St. Joseph that I discovered when I was in India, when I visited Kerala to visit the Divine Retreat Center. I was taken by one of the priests to a shrine and they showed me this statue of St. Joseph and it, he was lying down. I said, why is he lying down? And it was the sleeping St. Joseph. And I said, what is this about? They said, well, Joseph was always able to sleep when things were difficult or complicated. And we have lots of anxieties and worries. So what you do, you put all your, you write down all the things that trouble you and you put them down on a desk or by your bed and you put the statue on top of them lying down and you, you give them over to God through St. Joseph. And then you trust in God's providence and you sleep. That's how it works. So I discovered that in India and I have the little statue. Thank you, Father. We're just going to end with one final lighter vein question. Uh, this is people are quite interested or curious to see what are the books that you have behind you? Uh, what are the topics on and have you been reading all of them? <laughs> have I read them all? Well, I've been given a lot of books, but it, this I'll, I'll, I have different parts. So I'm going to. Um... Can you still hear me now? Yes, Father. OK, I'm going to give you a little tour. OK. So these ones over here, I was talking to you about the early church. These are the early writings of the early Christians. And they talk about Mary, they talk about the Eucharist, talk about the popes. So it's all there from the beginning, all the great saints of the first three centuries. And this whole block is about that. So I'm very interested in that. And then you have some, some things up here later in history. Have you heard of Thomas Aquinas? And, and then you have, here's all the Bible stuff. I love the Bible. 
of reading the Bible. This is all to do with the Bible, St. Paul, and different things there. And then if you go to this side, these are all about the saints, different saints, and even modern saints. Can you see these ones on the modern saints? And then these, this, this book is all about the spiritual life, the sort of things I've been talking to you about, how you become a saint, how you become holy. And there's so much, so much to learn. And these ones are sort of my hobbies. I love art. I love architecture. And so I love a lot of books on that kind of thing. So that's a quick, quick tour of my library. And I've got a picture over here of the Annunciation. Do you recognize that? So there's a little, a little talk for you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Father. Uh, with that, I call Jacinta for the final prayer. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Father Marcus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of our priests. We especially thank you for the gift of Father Marcus. Today, through his words, we have learned much about St. Carlo Acutis. We've been inspired about his devotion to Mother Mary and to St. Joseph. Lord Jesus, we pray that by being inspired through St. Carlo, that our devotion to Mother Mary and to St. Joseph may increase further. Our devotion to you and your presence in the Blessed Sacrament may be increased further. Lord Jesus, fill our lives with your love. Fill our hearts with your love, that everything we may think, that we may speak, and that we do will be done for you and for your love. Lord Jesus, we raise to you all the issues that are concerning our lives, all our family problems, our studies, our work, all the things that we're anxious about. Lord Jesus, we offer them to you. We ask for the intercession of St. Carlo. We ask for the intercession of our Blessed Mother Mary and St. Joseph. Lord Jesus, pour down your spirit among all of us. Thank you for the gift of the internet, and that we're able to join in in this one hour to listen to your word. Lord Jesus, we surrender the current pandemic. We surrender countries that are suffering. Lord Jesus, we lift up all those lives that are crying out to you. We ask for the intercession of St. Carlo, Mother Mary and St. Joseph, all the holy angels and saints, for those that are suffering through these difficult times, especially those that are seriously sick with the coronavirus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Father Marcus, once again, and uh, we look forward to having you back sometime soon. And uh, with that, we come to a close for this session. But as you know, we have a discussion that happens right after. So for those of you who are joining in the discussion, please check your email and the chat uh, where one of us will post the link and you could join in there. Thank you. God bless and have a great weekend.